Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody. It's good to see folks back. Uh, people who've been traveling, folks who've been down sick. And what a great, great song. I will serve you. We're going to be speaking about that more and more and more. But let's talk about some other things that are coming up. In the month of April, we're going to have our uh, youth and kids extravaganza taking place on the 20th. And then on the 27th, we will have our ladies and girls spring tea. We're excited about that, but even before that happens, uh, we've got Palm Sunday, the Lord's Supper, and uh, Resurrection Sunday, which the world calls Easter. That'll have a musical. Now we're going to start rehearsing both the adult choirs and uh, the children's choirs. We'll be uh, rehearsing beginning the 3rd of March. On the 3rd of March at 5.30, we're going to come together. We'll have the kids in the Kids Alive format and we'll be practicing their musical portion and the adults will be practicing their theirs for several weeks getting ready for Easter musicale, Resurrection musicale on the 31st of March. I'm excited about that. Praise the Lord for that. And then of course, as you know, we've got some important things coming up in the, the days just ahead of that. Uh, this is of course our regular midweek service tomorrow. We're at Fellowship House if you'd like to come and minister with us. We'll be there at 10.30. And uh, then in the weekend, we have, uh, we have cleaning at 9. We have visitation at 10, door to door. And we'll have about 400 door hangers to get out uh, on this Saturday. And the weather's going to cooperate, praise the Lord. Looking forward to that. So I hope that everyone will be out on Saturday. Clean at 9, visitation at 10. And then let's all be in our place on Sunday, this Sunday the 25th is the final Sunday of our special offering, which we're taking up for our Bibles going to the third world, our Beams Bibles. And our goal, initial goal was 1,000. We have surpassed 1,000 Bibles at $8 a piece, over $8,000 given. And whatever you give this week is extra. Continue to be in prayer for Brother Gabe, uh, who's recuperating, and let's, uh, let's give special offerings there as the Lord prospers us. And uh, many, many special things going on. Now, in the days ahead, also, we'll be talking about other special missions projects. And I want you to think about it. We have four months left of rent that we pay on the Briones Ministry on their church building. And uh, we're going to start picking that up in the Philippines. The Philippines are a wonderful, fruitful uh, area for soul winning and for church growth. And they reach out to the street kids and those that are especially uh, poverty-ridden and needy. And uh, so we want to give to them. That'll be something we'll be doing in the future. Also, upcoming uh, events that will be taking place. We're going to be looking forward to all of that. This summer is going to be exciting. We're going to have uh, the 4th of July, for example. Special day. We want to bring people in. Have a great, great time. We're going to have also, uh, we're going to have our uh, Prince William County Soul Winning Fair Booths. We'll be training for that and going out and equipping and winning many souls to Christ and then following up on them. We've seen the Lord bless in a wonderful, wonderful way. I'm so excited about what God is doing. And He's answering our prayers. And so we're going to get uh, to the Bible right now and then uh, our business meeting and then to our prayer meeting, which will follow. By the way, uh, we have met with uh, the Price family and uh, uh, Norris's funeral, his uh, service of memory will be this coming Monday, February 26th at Mount Castle on Dale, in, in, on Dale Boulevard in Dale City. 
And uh, 10 a.m. will be the visitation. 11 o'clock will be the service. And uh, Brother Tyler and I will be co-officiating. And uh, I want you to be there to encourage. And there'll be interment to follow out uh, at the cemetery. So our love and condolences to Aksuk and to Christina and Joyce. I know they're missing Norris. He was, he was a great friend of ours. We have Beast Feast coming up a week from Saturday. And everybody needs to sign up. We've got extra sign-up space for, for main course, for side dishes and desserts. Everybody make everything that you possibly can. Invite as many people. I'm looking forward to a great turnout and a wonderful time. Thank you for helping out with the various aspects of the events that are coming up. So that's something we need to sign up for. Invite people and uh, let's see what the Lord will do. I know that uh, our uh, church leadership is getting ready for the Passover Lord's Supper on March 26th. And we'll be teaching on that subject uh, as the days go by. And so right now, let's talk about serving the Lord. I will serve thee because I love thee. Thou hast given life to me. The Gaithers wrote that. I remember the first time I heard them sing it. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful song. It was the old Gaither Trio. How many of you remember the old Gaither Trio? Uh, originally, uh, it was a different makeup, but the one that most people remember is Bill and his brother Danny and uh, Bill's, brother, uh, Bill's wife, uh, Gloria. Uh, and then later on, when Danny had to retire because he had cancer, he had illness and so forth, um, I, I remember uh, the, the various uh, lineups that they had and then eventually it became the Gaither Vocal Band. But when they first sang, I Will Serve Thee, it was such a song of devotion, such a song of commitment. Nobody, nobody should feel mere duty and obligation when it comes to serving the Lord. He first loved us, and so we love Him. We ought to want to serve Him. We ought to want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody. Be excited about it. Never lose the thrill. Never get over the excitement of being saved, being a part of God's family, and then sharing with uh, everybody that we can. Uh, going back a number of years, there were two brothers. Uh, you talk about a family a team, the Ackley brothers. And the Ackley brothers came out of Pennsylvania. And I think they were uh, fundamental Presbyterians. Uh, they were associated uh, with, uh, with Moody and Sunday. And uh, they wrote a number of songs together. And perhaps the most famous, Alfred Ackley, the younger brother, wrote, I serve a risen Savior. There's service. He's in the world. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives. I know he lives because what? He lives within my heart. Now, do you know what? In that day, even as in this day, there are people, I believe we ought to be careful about what we sing. We ought to sing correctly. But they were so busy uh, judging and exegeting the, even the words of the song that God gave uh, to Alfred Ackley, they criticized that song because they said it was too much personal experience. You're, like, You're supposed to get saved and not feel it. Give me a break. Okay? We're not saved because we feel it, but we're saved and we do feel it. Amen. If you don't know that Jesus is living in your heart, something wrong with your salvation. You've got a leak in your salvation. But Alfred Ackley didn't let that stop him. He went on writing songs and he, he co-authored, he wrote the words and his brother Bentley, his older brother Bentley, anybody got an older brother? Not named Bentley, but Bentley wrote the music. Now Bentley was the organist with the Billy Sunday 
revival team. You got Homer Rodehaver on his trombone leading songs. I mean, he was the granddaddy of all the exciting evangelistic, uh, you know, song leaders. When, uh, when Ira Sankey led music for the Moody meetings, for the D.L. Moody meetings, he did so from a little pump organ. Now, sitting on a platform, you got 10,000 people out there, and he's singing without any amplification whatsoever. So I, he must have got hoarse every time. But uh, that was exciting enough for that time because a lot of people had never seen evangelistic or heard evangelistic music. But you come along to the Billy Sunday, I mean, you got Billy Sunday running back and forth. The former all-star baseball player for Chicago. And he would talk about, you know, striking out the devil and beat the devil. And I mean, he would challenge the devil and he was, he was very active. My, my father saw him and heard him preach. And he said, man, I saw, he said, I saw Billy Sunday run, run back and forth like he was stealing second base and slide across that wood platform into what would have been second base. And give an illustration, everybody was amazed. He had everybody's attention. Nobody went to sleep with Billy Sunday when he was preaching. But on his musical team was Bentley Ackley, the older brother of Alfred Ackley, who wrote He Lives. And the great song they wrote together, I mean, I can just hear it. Not, not, not in today's format, but let's go back to the glory days. I'm talking about the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s, when people all, they, they read music, they sang enthusiastically, they didn't care. I mean, they just let it, they belted it out. I am happy in the service of the king. I am happy, oh, so happy. There you got another one. It's all about personal experience, but it's based on truth. I have peace and joy that nothing else can bring. In the service of the king, in the service of the king, every talent I will bring, I have peace and joy and blessing in the service of the king. Amen and amen and amen and amen. I get excited. You just have to bear with me because I don't plan to change. All right. I get excited because... Serving the Lord Jesus is not drudgery. It's exciting. We know what the scriptures have to say about themselves. Over in 2 Timothy, let's go there first. 2 Timothy and chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And Paul writing to Timothy says of Timothy, and that from a child, verse 15, thou hast known what? the Holy Scriptures. Now, when we say we know the Holy Scriptures, that is objective truth. Amen? I believe in absolute truth. I believe the Bible was, is, and will always be absolute truth. Amen. It's about time in our churches and in society we return to sanity. So I'm declaring it right now. I'm declaring a permanent holiday on the insanity of woke consciousness and subjectivism, which has taken over so much so that they want to rewrite everything that's true and absolute and make it subjective. It's whatever, it's whatever your truth is. No, it isn't. My truth is only my truth is only truth if it's based on objective truth. 
For example, we're all saved the same way. You got saved in a different time, a different place, under different circumstances, but we all got saved by the same Savior, the same gospel, the same truth. Doesn't change. So my truth about salvation may have different details surrounding it, but it's the same truth that you have about salvation. And so the scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's personal. That's personal. When I read absolute truth, it does something to me subjectively. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. The teaching of the absolute truth. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. We come back to this all the time. For what purpose? That the man of God, the person who saved, may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. God wants to do something First of all, he's done something for us. And in chapter number 5 of the book of Romans that we've been studying on Wednesday night, we read about what he's done for us. What has he done for us? He has justified us. He has justified us so that forevermore I'm saved. That's not going to change because he did it for me. Nothing's going to change history. Nothing's going to change what God did through Christ for me on Calvary, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm saved and I know that I am. Aren't you glad that you know that too? Amen. But, now we start in chapter 6 and guess what we get? Having reviewed what we covered in chapter 5, which is justification, now we're going to see sanctification. And that's what he has done not only for us, but what He's doing in us. Justification is once for all. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you're saved forever. Praise God. And nothing's going to change that. But sanctification is ongoing in you and in me. It doesn't affect our salvation, our justification, but it is absolutely something that we need to be concerned about. Why? Because, you see... Now that we know that our sin has been cared for and that nobody, nobody goes to hell because of the original sin, the original sin is what produces the sins that we commit once we know the difference between right, wrong, good, and evil, and that's what condemns us to hell if, unless we turn to Jesus Christ and He takes away our sins. So we understand we're not condemned because we were born sinners. We sin because we're born sinners, and when we sin knowingly, that's what condemns us. And Jesus died to pay that debt. And so when we receive Him, that debt is paid for in full. But what have we got to deal with now? What we've got to deal with now is what we would call practical holiness. Now, am I a holiness preacher? There was an Assembly of God preacher, Brother Phillips, pastored the first Assembly of God of all of Hearst, California. And we would see Brother uh, Phillips and his family... Uh, out at uh, lunch on Sundays sometimes, and we'd see him, and I'd go over and shake his hand. And There was not a lot of exchange between us because he's, uh, he's an old-time Arminian uh, uh, hard preacher, but an assembly God preacher, different, different doctrine in many ways, saved man, no doubt about it. But to, to him, I was just a, a Baptist. And, and in their view, Baptists may or may not be saved because... Uh, we may or may not uh, believe like they do in everything, in every respect. Well, what happened was 
Uh, one time, some years later, I looked in the back. Uh, I was preaching Sunday school, and there was a man sitting in the back I didn't recognize, and then I kind of recognized him. I went back and introduced myself between services, and, and he introduced himself, and he said that he was from First Assembly of God in Oliver's. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, uh, Brother Phillips and I had a falling out. We had a fight, and I decided to come over here, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play games with this. I said, first and foremost, you need to go right back over. Forget about coming to church here. Go right back over and, and make it right with Brother Phillips. Come on now. You say, well, that's assembly God. Doesn't make any difference. Make it right with Brother Phillips. Went back over there. They hugged each other's neck. They got right. And he stayed over there. He said, well, don't you feel like you lost somebody that could have come to your church? Not under those circumstances. Thank you very much. Yeah, we want to be a haven always. We want to offer, you know, help and comfort. But not under those circumstances. I don't know how much after that was, but, but Brother Phillips came over to me when we were eating in the same restaurant. And he said, with a real gravelly voice, I, want you, I don't want to make myself, you know, gravelly and throat hoarse, but he said, Brother Whitaker, he said, you're the only Baptist I can stand. I said, why is that? He said, well, you're a holiness Baptist. Now, what he meant by that was that he saw some evidence in that I sent his man back to him. And... I didn't do anything extraordinary. I did the right thing. I did the right thing. And he never forgot that. He invited me over to his church. I got to say, they do things differently. Uh, when when uh, given the opportunity to say a few words, people responded to me and to my, to my exhortation uh, like Baptists. When, when he would do his thing, he would respond like Assemblies of God. There's a difference. There's a difference. Finally, Brother Phillips went to glory went to heaven, and there were eight preachers on that platform, and I was invited. I was the only Baptist on the platform. There were seven Assemblies of God preachers up there, and I got my turn to speak at his funeral. His funeral went on for hours. Mrs. Phillips, senior, sitting there, the widow, I felt sorry for her having to sit that long, but she heard many, many great things. But I, you know what I did? I preached the gospel. I drew the net. I had heads bowed. I had hands raised. I had people praying to receive Jesus Christ as Savior at that funeral. Always use that opportunity to share the gospel. Come on now. I didn't become Assembly of God. I didn't compromise. I don't want anybody isolating this and taking a clip from this and putting it all over the Internet and saying, Brother Winnegar has gone Assembly of God. No, Brother Winnegar did the right thing in both cases. So there you have it. Now, why did I say all that? Because he thought the evidence of how I handled that situation showed that holiness was being practiced. Holiness isn't what we work up. Holiness is how we allow the Lord to work out of our life. It's sanctification in action. And in, over in uh, Romans chapter number 6. Let's go there together. Romans chapter number 6. We're going to pick it up tonight. And uh, I trust you're going to get a blessing. I hope Now, if you do want to forward this, go ahead and forward this to everybody that you can because I want them to know there's only one way to be saved, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But after we're saved, there's some living that ought to be done by the grace of God. Look at verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we 
that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Now think about this. Uh, grace has a price tag on it. Did you know that? Not that we pay. Oh no, it was paid in our behalf. Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid the price tag of grace. Grace didn't cost you or me one cent. It didn't cost us one effort. It was all paid for in full by the shed blood, the finished work of Jesus Christ. God has freely offered then this grace to humanity in order to forgive sin and bring those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ into the family of God by the new birth. To demonstrate this, Jesus paid a once and forever price, His life. That's it. He gave everything that He could. He became the sacrifice for all who would accept it. And grace costs us nothing, but it cost Him everything. Jesus rose from the dead. The cost of forgiving grace was the most important payment ever made in the history of mankind, more important than any bill will ever pay. Uh, we understand, as people of integrity, we understand that things cost something. It isn't just a concept that our mind agrees with. It changes our decisions, it changes our actions, and it changes our life so that we live out practical holiness. Are you getting this now? Practical holiness is sanctification in action in our everyday choices, our actions, our motives, our words. There it is. We want to do the right thing. We do it because of love. We do it because we realize the high price that was paid. And uh, so receiving that gift should alter everything about how we do things, how we think about things. Jesus said that uh, to whom much was forgiven, all right, much was forgiven. Those, those, those many, many long, that long laundry list of sins, much was forgiven. That person loves much, all right. That person loves perhaps more than others when they realize what they've been forgiven and what they have been delivered to. All right, from and to, that's important. So I will serve thee. Why? Because I love thee. I'm happy in the service of the king. There it is. So when we think about serving the Lord with gladness, we understand uh, that uh, as, a, as a child, I, I learned that. As a child, I knew that. We understand that serving the Lord is a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's not a negative thing. It's not drudgery. And those that are tempted to faint and fall by the wayside because it just seems so tough, they need, they need to remember what Jesus Christ went through in our behalf. It's more than the saviorship of Jesus Christ. It's the lordship of Jesus Christ that affects our sanctification so much. So there is, there is a, a need today for all of us to emphasize practical holiness. Not to work up to salvation, but because we've been saved and because we realize the great price, we've been set apart, we've been cleansed, we've been prepared to serve the Lord with our life and to serve it because of the love that He first loved us with. There it is. There it is. When you look at Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, these are all key. Chapter 5 has to do with justification. Uh, chapter 
number 6 has to do with sanctification. When we get to chapter 7, you're going to see this, uh, this monkey wrench, this screwdriver that seems to be thrown into the works and messes everything up. The sin that, that besets and dominates and seems to, to keep us from, from consistent victory. We have, to, we have to see what Paul says about this, this uh, important aspect of being consistent and keeping at it. So there it is. The, the Lord Jesus Christ saves us and He saves us for a reason so that we can serve Him uh, with a happy and glad spirit and praise the Lord. The flesh is going to fight and we are going to find ourselves in a, a desperate battle day by day between the spirit and the flesh. And whatever we feed is going to win that battle. We need to make sure that we're feeding the spirit and not the flesh. Believers cannot rest alone on the fact that Jesus Christ has paid our sin debt for justification. If we're thinking in terms of being victorious on a daily basis, it requires something else. Here's what it requires. Put it down. Submitting. Yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ every day. You know what I'm talking about. All right? So the believer is dead to sin, but sin's not dead to us. The believer is dead to the law, but we realize that there are many, many complications to this business of sanctification. So we're going to talk about being alive in spiritual victory day by day uh, as we yield to God and we allow the Lord to have His way. All right. Now, look at verse 3. No, notice that. No, ye not. Don't be ignorant. There are uh, a number of usages uh, about the word knowing and not being ignorant in this chapter. Verse number 3, go down to verse number 6, knowing this. Go down to verse number 9, knowing that. Go down to verse 16, know ye not. All of these things are, are exclamations, emphasis upon we can know some things. God gives us the information to know how to be victorious. Satan wants to keep us ignorant. He wants to keep us in the dark. He wants people uh, to never hear the gospel. But if they do hear the gospel and get saved, he doesn't want them to understand the difference between justification and sanctification. In years uh, of work at the fair, I have rarely run into any professing believer who knows the difference between justification and sanctification can explain it on a practical level. At least we know. At least we know. We need to live it out. I know I'm justified. I can't change that. But sanctification is that which I yield to God moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, in order to have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. i got to keep claiming. i got to keep standing upon the truth. has nothing to do with staying saved. has everything to do with staying in fellowship has everything to do with staying right with God so God can get the glory and I can be rewarded and I can serve the Lord with gladness. I don't want to serve the Lord any other way but with gladness. There it is. The Christian, put it down, is dead to sin. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Now you've heard me preach on water baptism. This actually is the spiritual... Uh, lesson that's being learned by the physical application of water in burial under the water, in baptism. To baptize means to bury, 
uh, to cover, to submerge, to immerse. And here it's saying we're baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into His death. It's a picture of death. So everybody ought to yield to God and, and, and uh, surrender to water baptism to picture what they've experienced spiritually. That's it. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like, there's the word like, it's a symbol, uh, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is important for us to understand. It's important for us to see and to understand that sanctification means that we are now under new management. We belong to Him. We're no longer children of death, children of darkness. We are now children of light. We're under new control, new management. And every single day we need to renew that. It's not that, that we've lost our salvation. It's that sometimes we may lose our way. We may lose our vision. We may lose our determination. We may lose our fellowship. We'll never lose our salvation. But we may lose everything that's important for us to be practical in our holy living. The only way for us to be practical in our holy living is not to put it on autopilot. Are you listening to me? You can't live the Christian life on autopilot. You can't put it on cruise control. Instead, we need to be actively engaged in constantly facing every challenge that comes against our Christian experience and our sharing Jesus Christ and living out Jesus Christ. And we need to face it in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that's given us through the resurrection and the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps on cleansing and keeps on cleansing and keeps on cleansing. So there it is. We need to go on maturing in our sanctification so that this experience is not so raw and so new and so juvenile. When you first get saved and you backslide or you fall out of fellowship, you're shocked and you think you've lost, something's happened, you've lost your salvation. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You feel guilty again, don't you? You feel dirty again. You need to, in terms of fellowship, get cleaned up and get back in the race and get back in the business of living for Jesus Christ. There it is. Sanctification is initial. When we got saved, we're clean. But then within minutes or hours or days, we, we sinned again. And we've got to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Never forget that. That has not one thing to do with staying saved. It has everything to do with being in fellowship, being right with God. There it is. There it is. And so justification deals with the penalty of sin. Sanctification deals with the power to not sin. Are you listening? So the penalty of sin has been dealt with back in chapter number 5. But in chapter number 6, Paul is talking about having the power not to sin. We don't have to sin. We don't have to backslide. You don't have to, I don't have to cave in. When we do, we can get forgiveness, we can restore fellowship, but we don't have to stumble and fall every single time. Now let's look at it closely. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Raised up. What is that talking about? 
That's talking about every single day the Lord raises us up. Every single moment, every challenge, every decision, every choice, every temptation, the Lord raises us up. We don't have to depend on pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. This is not about self-help. This is about Savior help. This is about Jesus giving us what we need to be victorious over the temptation to sin. We don't have to sin. We've got the power available to us to not sin. Amen. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Amen. So we are, we're dead to that old self-willed way of life. Amen. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now here's the second knowing. Knowing that Christ being, or the third knowing. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Now everything that Christ has gone through, he didn't go through for himself. He went through for us. So everything that he went through, he went through for you and me. Everything that he accomplished, he accomplished for you and for me. So we, everything that he's got going for him and coming to him, we've got going for us and coming to us. Jesus Christ is our life. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. We have it all. We find it all. We experience it all. In Jesus. No, Alfred, Alfred H. Ackley, you go ahead and write, he lives. I like that song. There's one guy in your corner who says, amen to that song. I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. He's alive today. Jesus Christ alive and well. I wonder what's wrong with other people who profess to be saved. Don't like that personal experience. I like it. Amen. Sanctification in the life illustrates the beginning of the effectiveness of that justification being worked out. So when it starts up initially, we see, hey, I can confess my sins. I can trust the Lord. I can be strong in the Lord. I can stand. I can put on the armor of God. I can be filled with the Spirit. I can be successful. Isn't it great? Now, I might have felt really strange the first time you sinned after you got saved, but wasn't it great to get clean? Wasn't it great to stand and be successful and the next time when the devil came knocking, you didn't let him in. You didn't even answer the door. You left him out there when the devil came knocking. You left him out there in the yard. Isn't that good? Amen. It's wonderful to know that that's possible and it's consistently possible and that's what we call progressive sanctification. We're growing in grace. We're growing in strength. We're growing in maturity in our Christian experience. Our practical holiness is being lived out. This isn't something we're working up. This is the power that's in us, the power of the resurrection, the power of the name, the authority of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, the armor of God, all of that working together. Praise God for that. That's victorious Christian living. And then one day, one glorious day, you're going to breathe your last or the trumpet's going to sound and we're all going to get caught up and guess what? We're going to leave behind the part of you and the part of every person who has ever feared death is going to be left behind. The old flesh is going to be gone. You know the part of you that doesn't want to die? It's the flesh. It's the flesh. The part of you that tells you, oh, death is something scary to, to beware of. That's the flesh. Guess what gets left behind? The flesh. You're not going to take that flesh with you. That's going to be gone. That old nature is going to be left behind. That Adamic nature is going to be left behind. And you'll be clean and you will be, you will be forever sanctified. And as you get your glorified body and I get my glorified body, 
We will never, ever, ever be subject to temptation again. The world, the flesh, and the devil won't own a single piece of you or me. Amen. That's why during this lifetime, we need to yield to God constantly and not surrender to the devil. I had a message early on when I came uh, many years ago here, and uh, I preached on uh, Satan's little acre. There's a, a book, I think, out about God's little acre, something about you know, their homestead. I, I don't know the story, never read it, I don't know anything about it. But the concept was this, that Satan can do the same thing. Right in the middle of your life, whatever part of your life he chooses, he can get a little piece of you. Now, here's, here's what most pieces of property experience. Most pieces of property, if somebody owns an acre in the middle of your 40 acres, they also have easement rights all across those other 39 acres. They can cross those 39 acres. That's what the devil wants. He doesn't need all 40 acres of yours. He just needs one acre in the middle. And he can cross, he can mess up, he can mess with you. He can, he can mess with you in your relationships, in your choices, your decisions, and ruin your testimony. Absolutely mess you up. That's why you got to say, the devil got no part of me. The devil owns no part of me. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm justified. And now I'm going to live out that justification day by day and progressively become more and more mature. And there'll be longer and longer periods of time between my succumbing to temptation and giving in and falling and needing to confess my sins and He's faithful and just to cleanse me and make me right with Him again. And praise the Lord, as you grow and as you mature, longer and longer between those periods of time. That's how you can measure your development, your growth and maturity in grace. It's practical. It's where you have evidence we're under new management. And we will no longer serve the one that we once served. Amen. We serve the Lord. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For that he died, he died in, unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And that's what we've got in Christ. Now, here we go. Here it is. Verse number 11. This is so important for us to see tonight. I hope that you'll get this. And this will be a part of your understanding. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is where we're going to stop tonight. Because this is an important part of the discipline so that we'll be consistent in our progressive sanctification in this body. We've still got a sin nature. If we're going to be victorious over sin, if we're going to be victorious on a practical level, then every moment we need to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. The word reckon has to do with the accounting, that which the system that we accept in the way we think. Now, since I'm saved, I don't have to think like a lost person. Since I'm saved, I, I now have the opportunity to think like Jesus wants me to think sanctified thoughts, cleansed thoughts. And I reckon myself, I, I believe this. I believe that whatever Jesus has attained and accomplished, I also, I also can experience that day by day. I can have what Jesus has done because He's done it for me in our behalf. And so I experience that. So I can have the joy of the Lord. And I can have 
godly relationships and I can make right choices and I can say, you know, devil, you, you don't own that acre. You, don't, you, don't, you can't cross my acreage. You can't get into my life. You have no place in my thinking, in my life, in my feeling, my choice, my decisions, uh, my words. You have no part of that. In my attitude, you have no part of that because I belong to Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel. From the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, Satan, you are trespassing. The world, the flesh, and the devil cannot, cannot go there because you have no right to be there. You can kick the devil out. Amen. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. In other words, sin no longer automatically has access. The devil no longer automatically, like a puppet, on the strings, controls you, controls your movements, controls your thinking, controls all about it. You say, but i got a sin nature. But the devil no longer has control over you. Whatever you yield to, that's the one you're serving. You don't yield on a day-by-day basis to the devil. On a day-by-day basis, we yield to God, and he controls us. We give him our thoughts. We give him our motives. We give, us, give him our attitudes. We give him our words, and he's in charge. And we then, on a practical level, are dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, live through my life, think through my mind, see through my eyes, speak through my mouth, work through my attitude. Uh, Let my hands be your hands at work. Let my feet go where your feet would go. Let me be what you would be to others. Lord, live in my life, think in my mind, feel in my heart, live through me, touch the lives of others. Amen. If Jesus would bring lost souls to the Savior, then we would bring lost souls to the Savior. If Jesus would be kind, then we would be kind. If Jesus would speak with those words of tender love, then we would speak with those tender words of love. You see what I'm saying? Because of Jesus Christ, we are reckoning ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, that message was just what I needed. Raise your hands up high. That's what I needed. Amen and amen. In just a moment, we're going to extend the invitation. If you'd like to come, have a word of prayer. I'm going to urge you to do so, to come from where you are. Don't hesitate or pray right where you are. And let's, uh, let's let the Lord have His way. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, I'm going to ask you right now to pray from your heart to God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.